this morning is from Psalm 77, if you'd like to follow on. To the choir master, according to Jejuthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forsaken, forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let's pray. Lord, in the stillness this morning, Speak to hearts that are hurting, hearts that are torn, hearts that feel that you've forsaken them. And may they be reminded that you're always close and always near. Lord, we thank you that we can meet again in your house. That is good to be in the house of the Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you that we can come together, that we can encourage one another, that we can come to you in thoughts and in prayers, Lord, and that you speak to us through your word and through the word that you will bring through Marcus, Lord. Pray for Marcus at this time. Ask that your spirit just rests on him and that he speaks exactly as you want him to speak and bring what you want him to bring so that we hear it 
we understand it and we use it to your praise, to your glory. Thank you, Lord, for those selahs in life, those pauses. May we take times, Lord, that are a bit still, a bit quiet, not just to rush on to the next thing, but to actually take a breath, stop, reflect, and know that you are God. Encourage us now with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Carolyn. Um, if you have your Bible, um, just open it. As you know, we've, we're going through um, a series in Psalms. If you have been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we're going through uh, a series looking at different Psalms each week. And that's going to continue through for the month of August as well. Um, and this week we're in Psalm 77. But if you have your Bible open, please, um, or if your Bible, please open it. Because I know it was on the screen, which is great. Um, but it's also just uh, so much better having it open in front of you as well, just so you can follow along. So we're going to be kind of working our way through this, kind of logically through this psalm. Um, the, this, these psalms, psalms are, we'll know about psalms, they're a bit of a collection of, they're really poetry that's designed to be sung. Right? That was what they were written for. Um, and we'll know that there's been different types of psalms. Last week, uh, Alan walked us through what was called a lament. And uh, this week we want to look at another lament. So it's another psalm which is classed as a lament. And a lament is really just, it's a, it's a psalm where you just can lay all your trouble, just this raw pain, just lay all your trouble and your anxieties and your, before God and cry out to Him for help. So I love the, that the laments are here, and I think they're really important for the church that they're here because I think what they can do is they can give words to how we're feeling um, it, re- it realizes and acknowledges and recognizes that life isn't all plain sailing. In fact, at times it's completely the opposite, and life is really difficult and really painful. And so these laments almost give words to express ourselves in those moments, and the laments are just full of emotion and expression as we see the psalmist just opening up about how he's feeling in those moments. And you'll know as well as I do that um, even in those verses, in adverse in Hebrews, it talks about us, you know, looking to Jesus. Just before that, it says that, you know, that life is like an endurance race, right? So it's, it's an endurance. And so you don't have to endure something that's easy, right? Endurance, you endure something that's difficult and painful. Um, we, we played football, didn't tell us the first time. We played football yesterday. I played, well, I was there on a green pitch um, with a round ball. Um, Whether well, I played football or not, that's debatable. Um, but we were there for the um, Be Positive Cup and uh, playing by five side. And I, had, I pulled my boots out the night before and I had actually taken them out to see if they're still in there and they hadn't it just all fell apart because I hadn't worn them so long. And um, my goodness, was yesterday not an endurance? Um, and it was only like 17 minutes a game. <laughs> and I was clean busted. Like, you know, Phil's there, he'll know. Uh, because he'd just seen how badly I played. So I was busted. And it, well, for me, it was, I blame the weather, very humid, hard to play in, conditions weren't good. 
Um, but it was an endurance, right? Because it was difficult and painful. It was like, oh my goodness, am I going to get there? But and then whenever the further we progressed, actually the sadder I got because like, oh, we've got another match to play. Um, so it was a bit. Uh, I was wasn't the best motivator at the time. Uh, but for this, this, this psalm here, these laments, this psalm, psalm 77 is a lament. It's, a, it's an expression of a really painful, deep-rooted, painful moment that the psalmist is going through. And we're not given the context of it. For many of the psalms, you're not given the context of why. Some, for some, you are, and it's very obvious that when the psalmist was referring to and when he wrote this. But Psalm 77, like many other psalms, they don't have a direct context. You don't really know what exactly it is that's happening here. And I think... I, it's a good thing because I think it allows it to apply the psalm to our own context easier then. And so hope, we're hoping that that's what we'll be able to do as we go through this, to apply this, to walk through this psalm and identify with the psalmist and see how he worked through this deep-rooted pain in this time of despair. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look, divide it up. We could divide it up into sort of three or four sections. I'm going to keep it to three just to keep it simple for a simple person. Um, for myself. And so I'm going to look at, first of all, we're just going to walk through the deep emotion that he, is, he feels here. And he expresses this deep emotion at the time and just to see what, what it was that he was feeling in that moment. And then we're going to look at how that, those emotions um, sort of threatened to shape his view of God. Right? So how did those emotions um, threatened to maybe change what he previously thought about God, and now there's a war going on. And then we're going to look at then how ultimately he has worked through those and how he turns to God then for the truth to help him work through those painful moments. So let's, let's just look at, um, Carolyn has read these all, but um, verses 1 to 4 really help us to see this. And let's just walk through these verses just for a bit. So look at verse 1 just starts straight away, just starts off. You get straight away what's happening here. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Right? So he's not just saying, you don't get the sense in this point that, oh, he's finding life a bit tricky at the minute. And he's turning to God and praying to God, God, please, will you help me in this moment? And then he kind of gets on, distracts himself with something else. Twice in the one verse, it talks about him literally crying aloud to God. It emphasizes this being allowed. And so you get the sense all almost straight away. The psalmist, this, whatever he's going through, is just compelling him to literally audibly just cry out to God, aloud to God. He is in such a deep sort of moment of despair. And yes, he's turning to God. He's crying to God. So his faith is compelling him to go to God rather than to someone else. But we'll see that he doesn't get the instant reprieve that maybe you would think he would get. So his crying out to God doesn't suddenly just fix everything. He doesn't suddenly hear God and have this lovely, great moment with God. In fact, at the start, it seems the opposite. Look at verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. All night, so hand being stretched out is almost an indication of that posture of prayer. So that's an indication of prayer. So all night, possibly physically, his hand stretched out, but certainly he's in this posture of prayer all night. So he's consumed with this all day. At night, he's consumed with it. He's praying and crying out to God all night. It's so overwhelming. But then what does it say in verse 2? 
but my soul refuses to be comforted. I love that, that that's there, because that's, have, have you ever felt like that? So, would we could take that away, and we could say, yes, cry out to God, and it'll be, you'll feel great. It'll be all, you'll wake up the next morning, it'll be like, yes, feels so much better now. But the reality of life, and if you've come through a really difficult, painful time, or are at the minute, you maybe are flat out calling out and crying out to God, but it doesn't feel like anything is changing. And for the psalmist here, he said, my soul refuses to be comforted. I wake up, I don't even wake up the next day, I get to the next day, and I feel exactly the same. And I love that that honesty, raw honesty is there in the Psalms. His thoughts of God just cause him to what? Verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. So that word, when I remember God, I moan. It's not our type of moaning, you know. We're moaning about the weather. I haven't even looked out today yet, but the sun doesn't seem to be shining, so something to moan about. But then if the sun was shining, it would moaning because it's too hot. Gracious, have we moaned? Too hot! Too wet, too cold. So not that type of moaning that something's always wrong, you know. But this is like a like an inner groaning. Do you know, like that, do you know that deep, just like oh it's almost like we nearly almost audibly are like, oh it's just as groaning because of the intense weight of the pain that's closing in. Those verse when I meditate, my spirit faints. That word faint is this is or overwhelmed. It has this carries this meaning of sort of being covered in darkness, right? Just, just you're clouded over with darkness. That's all there seems to be. And that's when he remembers God. And when he remembers God, when he tries to think on God, it still has this darkness covering him. And then look at verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. Hold me. He can't sleep at night. Cannot get to sleep. His eyelids are held open. He cannot even sleep. I don't know for you what type of person you are. Um, if you're a person who can't sleep at night when you're worrying about something or something's really overwhelming, I'm very thankful to God for the, I'm the opposite. So I can be like overwhelmed all day, but then I look forward to nighttime because then I know, well, at least when I'm sleeping, I'm not going to be worrying about it. So I like want to get to sleep and I go to sleep and I sleep like a baby, right? But, um, but for you, maybe you can identify with this. You're like, oh, that's me. I can't sleep at all. So this is him. Can you imagine? And maybe you don't have to imagine because maybe you have been here. But if you haven't, can you imagine not getting any sleep? Totally consumed by this all day and all night. You can imagine how weighty and paralyzing that could have been for him here. And then verse for the second bit of verse 4, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He can't even bring himself to hold a conversation. Maybe not even speak to God. Because he's just like... Do you, know when, do you know in those times when you're like, you're so consumed by something, something that's so weighty, that the thought of being with people can sometimes be just too tiring. Because you're like, oh, I have to have a conversation with them. I have to talk. And I, I can't even... I'm just, I just haven't got the energy or the motivation to just hold a conversation right now. There's too much going on. And so sometimes that can make us kind of be reclusive then and we can go into our own sort of wee bubble and we can stay away from people, which is a bad thing as well. But this is the reality of what's happening here, right? This is the reality of what's happening for the psalmist. And when some of us read this, 
some of you may be like, I get where he's coming from here. I know what it's like. I'm either there at the minute or I've been there in the past. Maybe, or maybe you're, and this, this, these feelings, I think it's important to say, aren't um, exclusive to like older people. So maybe you're a young person here and you've felt, in, and maybe you, you, you've, you don't even know how to express it, but you've felt some sort of a, a really anxiety or worry and darkness and just like as if something's pressing you down and you're just, it's constantly on your mind and, and you're not even sleeping right at night. Or maybe you do sleep and you wake up in the morning and it's there again, it's just sitting there and it's weighing you down. We know this can be something that affects young, both young people and older person. If you're an older person, maybe you've experienced more of it, but it's not certainly exclusive to older people. Well, if, if you are, have experienced that or you are there at the minute, um, isn't it good to know, first of all, that you're not alone? Someone who has written Scripture has been there. Someone who is a follower of God has been there. This is not something that someone, you suddenly become a Christian and, and then it's nearly wrong for you to be in this place. This is normal. This is part of living in a broken world. Yes, there could be times that God, it could be because of a lack of faith maybe in your life. And you could say that maybe that all sort of anxiety and stuff is rooted in a lack of faith ultimately. But, or you could say maybe that um, it could be that you're going through a difficult time as a, because God, God's maybe disciplining you because he says in Hebrews that he disciplines those he loves. It could be that. But aside from that, what this is, is just part of living in a broken world, right? Living in a broken world surrounded by brokenness. And so here we see this honest, open expression of um, what the psalmist is going through and how he's feeling in that moment. But when these difficult times come, what they can do is then, what, and what we see is going to happen here, is they can, they can start to try and shape how we think about God. So I, I was brought up like through church and all of that, and you, your, your upbringing could be completely different, right? So that's okay. Um, but maybe you've been brought up to believe a certain, certain number of things about God, or this is what God's like. He's this, 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 and this. But whenever these types of really difficult times come, what they can do is then they can start testing all of that. The difficult times can test it and be like, and those things you knew about God can start feeling a bit threatened now. So, you know, I, I, but I thought God was like this, but now I'm starting to wonder, is that right or not? Because my circumstances are not really marrying up with what I understand about God. And that's what happens in the psalm here. His faith in God, his understanding, his belief of God start to get threatened. And so verse, the next verses 6 to 9, we really read about this. There's a war that starts to happen, right? This war of the mind. He, over here, he has what he has been brought up to believe about God. But now in this moment, it's warring against how he feels about God based on what he's going through. What are his feelings telling him about God based on what he previously knew about God? And is this clashing coming together? Maybe you've, maybe you've been like in a situation where, do you know what someone, you hear something, as someone has done something or said something about you, or sure we're all there, right? Right? Someone has said something or done something, and you've been, it's been kind of felt quite hurt by it. But there's, there's a bit of a war because you think, I don't 
find it, in one sense, I find it kind of hard to believe because, like, like I know this person, and it's really out of character for them to say something like that or do something like that. But then over here, yeah, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm still feeling kind of hurt because I think that's, I'm telling that's what they meant or that's what happened. So, and you're like, what do you know about the person versus how you feel about the person now? And there's this kind of a clash, and that's what's happening here. That's what's happening in Psalm 77 with the psalmist. Look at what he says in verse, uh, let's read from verse 6. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? So here's its start. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? So now we have a lot of questioning going on. And that's the natural thing that happens, isn't it? It's the natural thing, especially for us as believers. We believe that God is in control of all things at all times. And then something like this comes along, and, you're, and then you start questioning. But, but is, why, why would God allow... What, why, how, how, why is this happening to me? And you start to kind of start wondering. Look, look at the things that, he's, that are under threat here. Verse 7, will the Lord spurn forever? Is that word spurn is another word you could use is reject. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never again be favorable? So he's obviously someone who's experienced God's favor in the past. And now he's saying, now will God never ever again be favorable to me? It seemed in the past he was favorable to me, but now it seems that he's, his favor is gone. Look at verse 8. Has a steadfast love forever ceased? See, there's a litany of things here. There's a litany of characteristics of God. Really foundational things about God are under threat here. Look at them. You've got um, things brought into question are God's, uh, his unconditional acceptance of him. So we know we're led to believe that when you become a believer, God accepts you. God puts his favor on you and that doesn't change. And so now that's under threat. This unconditional acceptance is now thinking, have I done something to now cause God to change his mind? God's favor towards him is under threat. God's love for him. How foundational is that? God's love for him is a, has a steadfast love forever ceased. You imagine if we actually were brought to a point where we believed that. His faithfulness is brought into question here. The dependability of his promises are his promises at an end for all time. When I first read this, I thought, that seems a bit drastic. Okay, you're going through a difficult time, but are his promises like all over? Are they all done for all time? It seems a bit drastic. But, you can, but if, if one of God's promises, or even at a point in your life, God's promises are brought under threat, then that sort of undermines all of God's promises, doesn't it? That's why we, you know, with this uh, term, we say, take everyone with a pinch of salt, just because we know that we're kind of liars, right? <laughs> right? So take a sort of fancy way of saying, take a pinch of salt because they could be lying, right? Or they'll not be able to keep their promise. You know, we, we're, we know that every promise that we make to each other, we're not going to build our life on it, right? Because we know that we can easily break our promises, so, or we've broken our promises in the past. So what happens sometimes in our house is like, you know, we've... Um, sometimes the, uh, the kids will say to us, you know, ask us, oh, can we do something? Like, can we watch... Uh, can we watch TV? 
for better, can we play Xbox or PlayStation for better? And we'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that later on after we do this and this. And we'll do that. Yeah, you can, you can play or you can watch it then later on. And then it comes later on, but in between time, life has happened. And then a number of other things have come in. And then um, they, they come, okay, can we play now? And we're like, oh, no, no, we can't now because it's bedtime now. And you're like, what? Then what happens? But you said... You said we could play then. Yeah, I know, but I mean, we didn't understand that this was going to happen. We didn't know this was going to happen. This was going to happen. And it's bedtime now. You know. And then what happens then the next time that comes around? Uh, oh, so can we watch something? Oh, yeah, we'll do that later on. You know, oh, you always say that. <laughs> oh, right. Right? So there's, there's, a, there's a kind of a bit of a doubt in their mind then. Why? Because we broke a promise in the past. And now any other promises we make, they know that, yeah, okay, they say that now, but probably something else will come up. And so whenever he's saying here that his promises, God's promises are undermined for all time, he knows that because if this promise of God, if one of these promises of God is broken, then who's to say it? The rest of them aren't going to fail as well. And so God's faithfulness has been undermined here as well. God's grace has been undermined. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Can you imagine? Imagine if God forgot, and if he forgot to be gracious. Has he forgot to be gracious? And whenever you read this, it's important never to look at this and think, that's ridiculous. Because when I read this, I can identify with this. Because this is how it feels in this moment, that God has forgotten to be gracious. His God's compassion, even foundational things like God as a compassionate God, are being under threat here. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? In Cornerstone here, there's a reason why we try our best to teach a good theology of suffering. Because we realize that it's in the points of suffering that our theology of God sometimes is most formed or is most under threat. You remember Job experienced this? Remember Job? Job was someone who had everything. It looked like he had everything. Look at his life was sorted. He had a big family, loads of, uh, I was going to say loads of wildlife, but that wouldn't be it. Livestock is the word I'm looking for. Maybe he had wildlife too, I don't know. Uh, livestock, right? He had his family sorted. He had loads, looks like he had loads of money. He looks like people serving him, servants and all. It looked like everyone was going swimmingly. And, and he was somebody who loved God and somebody who was blessed by God. And of course, Satan, the argument Satan's really making is, well, of course he... Of course, he feels blessed by you. So look what he's got. How could he not feel blessed by God? Of course, he feels that you're a God who's compassionate. Sure, look what he's got. Of course, he feels loved. <clears throat> I mean, he's, he's surrounded by a fam, lovely family and everything. He, of course, he feels that you're a faithful God. <clears throat> but I bet you if you take those things away, that'll really show you what he's like. Because I bet you that all of his theology is based on what he has. I bet you take that away, and then we'll see what the real Job's like. And of course, God took those things away. Satan didn't take them away. God took those things away from him. Because God was so confident in Job. God was so confident in how his theology was correct. But Satan knew that that's where to attack. Because he knew if he brings someone into a place of pain and loss, then he thinks that he can undermine our view of God. And it's the same thing is happening here with the psalmist. There's a war going on in the mind. Pain and suffering can be the most threatening in our understanding of God and his nature to us. C.S. Lewis wrote this 
in his book, A Grief Observed. It's a book he wrote after his wife died. He says, why is he, speaking about God, why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but rather, so this is what God's really like. Deceive yourselves no longer. To even C.S. Lewis is here. He's with the psalmist, isn't he? He's echoing what the psalmist is saying. He's, he's expressing how he feels in this moment. And he says, it feels like God is a strong commander in those times when things are going good, but it feels like he's absent in times of trouble. And that's the reality of our lives. And so maybe you're in this place at the minute, in that place at the minute, and maybe your pain is raising questions in your mind about God. Maybe you're questioning these things about God. Why is God allowing this to happen? Isn't he in control of all things at all times? How could he be loving and allow this? Have I done something wrong? Have I done something wrong? And that spiraled these things out of control. And this is why God is doing this to me. Well, can I encourage you to do what the psalmist does here in the first instance? Can I encourage you to be honest with God? Can I encourage you to be okay with the questions? It's okay to have questions. In fact, it's quite normal to have questions, and we see this right throughout the Psalms and right throughout Scripture and in people like C.S. Lewis. It's normal place to naturally want to question God. Didn't Jesus do it on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is humanity coming forth there? It's okay to question God, and God wants us to be honest. God is not offended by our honesty. He's probably more likely offended by our hypocrisy. Do you know when we come, we're, we're pretending, oh, well, things are okay, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm not going to bring that to God. Things are okay. Like, don't we want, isn't it honesty we really want from our kids? So if you're a parent, <clears throat> you're try, we're always trying to create this culture where our kids feel that they can come and talk to us about anything. But sometimes we fail to apply that to our relationship with God. We want this open and honest, as parents, relationship with our children where they can talk to us about honor. Like I, I would hate it in our house <clears throat> if our kids um, felt, you know, they came and we had a conversation, well, how's it going today? Or oh, there's Jude. Well, Jude, how's it going today? And Jude was like, oh, I'm, everything's fine, Father. Right? And, uh, all right, Jude. And uh, nothing bothering you or anything like that? No, Father, everything's fine, with a tear coming down his face. That'd be an awful relationship, wouldn't it? Awful environment where I, could, I knew that there was, there was pain, there was something bothering, but, um, but he didn't feel he could be honest with me because he thought I might be offended by that or, oh, it might be a bit weird. But in our relationship with God, God welcomes our honesty, right? He wants that raw honesty, he wants us just to come to him with all of our questions and all of our shouting and all of our crying and just honestly as a father, because when we come to him honestly like that, it actually tells us a lot about our relationship. We feel that when we were honest with God, it's, it's sort of, it's telling God that, well, I, I, I realize that I can be honest with you, God, and I know that you love me and you're okay with that, and so I'm going to come to you because I trust you, and I trust you're not going to spurn me forever. So be honest with God, <clears throat> cry out to him, 
<clears throat> but what it would say is, don't just stay there. Right? Don't just stay in this place of questioning. Because what can happen is, we, as we've said, our theology of God can be shaped by how we feel in those moments. And that's a dangerous place to be. So where did the psalmist go to then? What did he go after this? Well, look at verse 10. A whole shift happens in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Then I said, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You're the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Israel and Joseph. And so there's a shift that happens here. He doesn't just stay in the place of questioning. He, he, he moves from there and he starts meditating on what? He starts meditating and remembering the things that he knows about God. This word meditate and remember, these words are used a few times in the Psalms. And you could say, well, the meditating and the remembering thing didn't work out so good the last time for him. Because if you look at verse 6, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And then you've got three verses of constant questioning everything about God. Wasn't he meditating there? Wasn't he remembering there? But those, that remembering and meditating in verse 6 is, he's almost more reminiscent. Oh, let me remember my song in the night. Do you remember that song I used to be able to sing when things were going good? Oh, please bring me back to that point. You let my heart, oh, it'd be so good to be back there. And, and we can do that, can't we, in the times of pain? In order to try and get through it, we start to think back to when there wasn't pain, before the pain, or a time when things were going easier or things were going better. And you're like, oh, if only we could go back there. If only we could, things were, life was easier. If only I could have that mountaintop experience. Oh, it was so good. And, and we know that when we do that, though, it doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't move us on. And we can just start just almost like, it's almost like exasperating for us because we're like, oh, I wish, but I know I can't, but I wish I could go back. Well, that's what's happening, I think, here in the psalm. I think he's trying to think back to that time and um, it's causing him now to question God because it seemed that God was blessing him back then. It seemed that it was, I think he felt it was obvious that he was blessed by God. It felt more obvious that God's favor was on him back then, because things were going good. Um, it, it didn't feel like God was angry with him back then, and so he, he wants to kind of go back then, because it felt better then, and that's a natural response. But look what he does. His remembering and pondering here and meditating are different this time. Why? Because the object of them is different. Look at verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. See, he's now remembering what? He's now remembering those displays of God's power back then. Yes, he's remembering the difficult times, but he's not just remembering how, how difficult they were. He's remembering how powerful God was in those moments. We have this thing called, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing and all of that. But it's important to look back, isn't it? It's important to look back and see where you could see instances of God's power before. Look at verse 13. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like ours. 
psalmist is looking back here, and we'll see that he's looking back at a very painful time in Israel's history. Right? He's looking back. He's not even looking back at the mountaintop moments. He's looking back at a deep, deep, dark valley in Israel's history. And he's looking back, and what is he saying? Is he saying, God, you switched off for a bit there. Where were you there? And now he's looking back, and now he's like seeing, oh, now I can see, God, that your ways were holy. That word holy is like your ways were set apart. Your ways were much better than my ways. Your ways were perfect. Mine weren't. But now I can see how your ways were perfect in that moment. Now I can see that you had a plan. Now I can see that you were in control back then. Yeah, it was difficult at the time, but now I can see that. And even though it seemed really difficult then, now I see that you actually did have a control. You actually were a God of love, and you were a God of compassion. You were a God of grace. And now I'm going to use that to try and help me in this moment to help solidify my view of you, God. Verse 14, he's meditating on the miraculous. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the prophets. See, this, this idea of meditating and remembering, like, med, this word meditate, um, you know, there's a lot of different uses, doesn't it? You know, sometimes it's associated with this idea of, you know, just meditate, or meditation is almost this emptying of your mind, and, you know, like, you, we can't empty our mind, right? It's impossible to do. You, you cannot empty your mind of anything. We, like, we can't even empty our mind when we're sleeping, because we've got these weird dreams, and dreams happen. So even when we're sleeping, we can't not think about something. We can't, like, I was talking to, I don't know, Pete was telling me just before I started, he was having weird dreams last night. Pete's speaking in a few weeks, and he woke up dreaming that um, he was going to be speaking this week. And uh, Somebody said, all the best and all, and he's like, what? So, so dreams, we can't even switch off in our dreams. Right? So it's not a case of switching off. When we're talking about meditation and we're talking about remembering, it's very much switching on the things. And there are good things to do, but there, it's important that the object of our remembering, the object of our meditation is correct. Because if we just look back to when things were better, oh, and we kind of wish we could do that, it doesn't help. Like that happened to, do you remember the Israelites, whenever they'd come out of captivity and they're in the wilderness, and what did they start to do? When a difficult time come, they were like, oh, I wish I could go back to there. I wish when things were, seemed better then. And, oh, and it was just a moan. It was a moaning. Like, it was our moaning, right? It was a moaning that happened. Didn't bring them any contentment. Didn't bring them any help at all. In fact, it just brought them more years of slavery, more years of like instantly, more years of being just wandering about in the wilderness, and then the future, future slavery. So, that's not what God wants us to do. Believer, as we walk through life, we, I'm sure we all can acknowledge that life is hard, right? Life is just so tough, and there's some particular valleys in our life that are particularly dark, like really, really dark. And those moments, can I encourage you to do what the psalmist does here. Right? Look, look back. Try and look back in your, in your life up to now and think, um, where have I seen, has there been, has there been difficulties in my pa- life in the past? Has there been valleys before? We're, you know, we're not, we're not too good. I'm the world's worst at doing this. I think we're, what we tend to do is 
we get through such a deep, dark moment in our life, such a really worrying time, anxious moments, whatever, and then we get through that, and then we're kind of like, glad I got out of that, glad we got through that, never want to go back there again, and we kind of just move on, we kind of celebrate that we're not there anymore, but what we fail to do is actually then look back and think, well, hang on a minute, who has got me through that? How have I come through that? Where have I seen God's power in that? How, can I see God's power? Can I see maybe even something of God's plan in that as to why he allowed that to happen or why he, he made that happen in my life? Can, can I see the miraculous, something of the miraculous nature of God in that? Can I see examples of God's grace and how he loves me in that? Can I see examples of his compassion and his faithfulness to his promises in that? Can, and and I'm not look back so it's important we look back in the right way, but look back looking for instances of God in those moments and use those to strengthen your faith in the present. But ultimately, um, I can honestly say, right, honestly say in, um, I was going to say my limited life experience of life, but it's slowly changing that line now because I'm starting to move into the older person thing. Anyway, 43, knew all about that yesterday, trying to kick a football, right? But in, in my experience, I can honestly say that in those dark and deep recesses, those dark valleys that we go through, there is nothing as powerful in that moment of pain than the inspired words of God. They can cut into places that no one else can even get to. They can just enter into that pain, and they can bring light into and hope into that pain like no one else can. It is great to be surrounded by people, isn't it? It is important that we're surrounded by people, especially in those moments when we want to just keep, be away from people. It's important we're surrounded by the right people. It's important as the body of Christ we come together, and we counsel each other, and we help each other, and we speak to each other, and we comfort each other, and we cry with each other. All those things are vitally important but when we are in those dark valleys, there is just something supernatural that happens when we read Scripture, when Scripture is breathed into us, when God brings us a verse back to our mind, or when we're reading Scripture and it just suddenly illuminates to life like we've never, like that, we could read a verse for years and no verse for years, but in that moment, something supernatural happens. And we know what that is. We know that that's the Holy Spirit just doing something, bringing it to life in our hearts, in our minds for that moment. There is nothing that will become close to the power of God's Word in those moments. And so that's why we're always trying to encourage us as believers to know God's Word, because that is where life comes from in those times. Maybe you're um, here and you're thinking, Maybe you're in a time of pain now, and you're thinking, I can't, I can't really remember another time where I've really seen God working that's really going to help me in this moment. Um, maybe, maybe those moments exist, but at the minute, you, it's, your pain is just too deep and overwhelming to just even be able to process the past or even think about the past. Or maybe you're a young person, and you're now experiencing something of this, and you're like, well, I, I, I've never had this. The first time anything exists. This is the first time I've ever felt like this. This is the first time I've really felt really like 
overwhelmed or kind of this kind of cloud comes over me. And I don't even know how to express it. Somebody asked me how I'm feeling, but I know there's just something there. And you're thinking, well, I don't have any history to look back on where I've seen God's power. Well, something very interesting here in Psalm 77 is that when the psalmist remembers in verses 16 to 20, what he's really remembering here is not necessarily something that has happened earlier in his life. In fact, he's looking way further back than that. Look, let me just read the verses 16 to 20. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Where is he, what's he thinking about here? What is he, what is he referring to with all this imagery? Well, he's referring way back to whenever God's people were rescued from slavery out of Egypt. And that's, that is not in this psalmist's lifetime. That's probably not even in his parents' or grandparents' lifetime. That's way back in history he's looking back. And why on earth is he going back that far to see some sort of a, to find some sort of a sign of God's presence and his power. Well, in Israel's history, this was the ultimate time in history where they could ultimately see a display of God's power. They could ultimately see a display now of God's plan in it. Right? This was an ultimate dis- display of God's power and his love and his grace and his faithfulness and his compassion, his favor. The psalmist looked back I could see in the midst of this excruciating pain, and it was dark pain, in the midst of this dark, dark valley, God had a plan. It may have been really difficult to see it in the time, if you were an Israelite in that moment, but now he's looking back and saying, but, but now I can see that even in that, God, you had a plan. In the midst of what seemed a hopeless existence for the Israelites, God had a future for his people. He can see that now as he looked back. He could see that in the midst of even the complete darkness, God in that time was just, he was waiting for the right time. He was waiting for the right time to light up the skies with his lightning bolts. He was waiting for the time to bring shine light and let light come flooding into the life of the Israelites' nation. But he was just waiting in the right time And so now he can see that. That's the God I worship. That's the God who can help me in my moments now. That's where I draw my strength. But for you and I, we have an even greater time. Right, don't we? So they looked back then, but they were looking back at the shadow of what we now look back on. So that that escape from Egypt, that was just like a... That was like a wee, um, a wee snippet. That was a taster of the Israelites to tell them, um, this is what's happening now, but I'm telling you, something greater is going to happen. And even better, one of these is going to happen in the future. It's not just going to free you from like Egypt. It's going to free you from the pains of hell for all eternity. There's a rescuer coming. He's going to, just like Moses, I use Moses and Aaron here. I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to rescue you. 
And so as we now sit here this morning, we have an even greater event to look back. And so if you're thinking, I, don't, I can't think of anything, I don't have anything else I can think of right now, that's okay. That's okay. But if you're a believer, you do have this moment. This moment in history where we see what? We see the ultimate display of greatness, the ultimate display of what God is really, really like. Because this shows us who is this God really. So when we look back on the cross, it's the time when we see that uh, uh, Jesus not just feeling abandoned. So the psalmist here felt like he was abandoned by God. When Jesus was on the cross, he felt abandoned by God. Why? Because he was abandoned by God. We only, we only feel abandoned by God when we're as believers in any moment in our time, but we know that because he, Jesus was abandoned by God, we will never now be abandoned by God. So his promise is true that he will never leave us or forsake us. When God, uh, it's a time in history, the cross was a time in history when God showed that he really does love us. You know, that's an ultimate sign of, look, this is God giving his only son, crushing his only son for us so that we would not be crushed. There's nothing greater than that. There's no greater display of love than that. And so when we're feeling, God, it feels like you don't love me anymore, then what we have to do is we have to go back to what we know about God, the truth, not about how we feel about God. What do we know about God? But God, it feels like you don't love me. But then I look back at the cross and I think, no, you do love me because you, will, you, you sacrificed your own son for me. That's an ultimate display of love. The cross is, when, when we look back at the cross, we see where God proved his faithfulness to his promises. Even those promises that he made way back in Genesis, right? When, when Adam and Eve first sinned, he says, I'm going to send someone, and that someone is going to redeem you. That someone's going to crush the head of Satan. And now we see, well, years, thousands of years later, that actually happened. God did come. He did send his son, Jesus, to earth, and he was crushed for us. And so we see it, God, you were you faithful to the most difficult promise. Like that, that's the most difficult promise that God ever made in all of history. The most difficult promise he had to keep was the promise that one day, because of your sin, I'm going to crush my only son, my only sinless son. I'm going to crush him for you. What a difficult promise that was. And yet God kept that promise. So when you would think, God, I don't know if you're faithful to all your promises, then you look back and think, no, but the cross tells me that you definitely are faithful to promises. You are faithful to the most difficult promise in your life. And so I know that you're a faithful God. God, I know when I look back at the cross that, that well, I see anger on the cross, but it's anger poured out on your son. Because, Jesus, you took all of the anger and wrath of God then, then I don't have to endure your wrath or anger. Now I know that the promise that there is now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that is mine because you poured out all your anger on your son. And so the cross is this ultimate display of the character of God. So what we do at this, every week we do communion, right? Every week we take the elements and we're going to do it today again. And ultimately what this is, is a time for us to remember, isn't it? It's a rem but it's not just a time for us just, just to remember something that happened in history. It's not just like a history thing or a tweet, just kind of triggering off our memory again in case we forget. 
But it's as we remember, we want to remember, what does the cross tell us about the God that we worship? What does the cross tell us about the God who um, is in control of all things at all times, including the deep-rooted valley that I'm in? What does the cross tell me about God that now will bring life, light, and hope into my hopeless situation? If we only focus on what we feel in those moments, it will just bring death. And we have to, with God's power, and it's good to be honest, it's good to be open with God, and it's okay to question God, and He can handle all of that, but what He wants us to do is He wants us to, to focus on Him, to meditate on Him day and night, to remember Him, to see how glorious and powerful and, and sovereign He is, even when it appears that He's not. What we know about God is different from how we feel about God. Let's use what we know about God to shape our theology of God, to shape our view of understanding of God, rather than just what we feel about God. And so as we take communion, let's use this as an opportunity to help us to think about and ponder and meditate on what the cross tells us about Jesus. What does it tell us about His love for us? What does it tell us about his commitment to us? What does it tell us about his forgiveness for us? What does it tell us about his compassion for us? What does it tell us about his grace for us? What does it tell us about his faithful, faithfulness to us? And let's use this as, a, as believers as a celebration of what God has done for us and what he means for us. And so as for we, us as um, in Cornerstone, if you're new to Cornerstone, what we do is we just, as the guys are coming to, to play and lead us in song, as they do that, if you're a believer, then all of God's promises are yours. Claim them, own them, stand on them, build your life on them. They're yours, all because of what Jesus has done. And so if you're a believer, then we ask you to join with us. Right? Come up to the front as the guys are playing, just as the Spirit leads. Take uh, the juice, the bread. You can consume them at the front, or you can bring them back to your seat. It's up to you. If you're not a believer, then we ask you not to do this because it's not really a meal for you. That's not to say that we've claimed some sort of exclusivity kind of thing and you're not part of the club. It's not that type of thing. It's a protection for you because we're celebrating something that Jesus has done for us, which we acknowledge. So if you're not a believer, then you can acknowledge this and you can believe this and you can accept what Jesus has done for you and become a believer today and take communion. But if you're not a believer, then this meal isn't for you. But if you're a believer, let's celebrate this together as we remember and as we meditate on what the cross tells us about Jesus. Let me pray just for the guys lead us. Father, you know exactly what the valleys are like. Jesus, as you approached the cross, you felt the weight, the crushing weight of the darkness. Jesus, as you hung on the cross, you felt what it feels like to be abandoned. You knew what it feels like to feel crushed. You know, know what it feels like to be rejected. You, know, you knew what it feels like to, um, for God's compassion and love to be halted and stopped and 
There's favor to stop. You knew all of these things, God. And we thank you that you're a God who understands us in those moments. God, we thank you that you're a God who is in control of even our painful moments. And we're thankful that you're a God who says that you have a plan for us in them, for our good. But God, in those moments, we need you through the power of your Holy Spirit to turn our eyes to you, to filter all of our pain through the lens of what we know about you, God, and not what we feel about you in that moment. So God, help us in those moments to turn to Scripture, to turn to what we know of you, God. I pray that they will bring hope and comfort and life into the darkest moments in our lives. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.